Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up your bedroom is even better. Select almost any one item from adamandeve.com, punch in the offer code TMPP before checkout, and get 50% off. Then, Adam and Eve loads on the free. A bounty of free things. Gifts. It's like Christmas for your genitals. Enter offer code TMPP at checkout, that's TMPP as in Thousand Movie Project Podcast, and you will get 10 tantalizing free gifts. A sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six free spicy movies. And that's what we're all about here on the Thousand Movie Project Podcast, cinema. So again, that's 50% off of just about any item on the site, plus free shipping. So go to adamandeve.com today and enter the code TMPP with your order. That's TMPP, T-M-P-P, at adamandeve.com. And now, on to the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. This is the first episode in about a month, uh, coming at you right in the middle of December, and since a major motif of this podcast involves me musing out loud about why the fuck did this take me so long to finish, it should come as no surprise to you that I started writing the real next episode, like the formal scripted, segmented episode, the one that's supposed to come after this one. I started writing that in the beginning of November. It's largely about... um, a book critic named Harold Bloom who died, I think, on October 29th. And you saw, like, in the first week of November, I put the second half of that Halloween episode. I'm all I'm all over the place. Everything takes me way... Everything involving the podcast takes infinitely longer than I anticipated. There's a meme I've been seeing on Instagram lately of someone saying to their boss, Hey, sorry I'm late. Traffic was just as bad as it's been every day for the past five years, and I was not expecting that. Today's episode, which I don't expect for you to listen all the way through to the end unless you're actually watching the movie with me, is kind of a December placeholder. I'm going to chat with you for a few minutes here in an introduction that's 10 pages long. But after we chat, then uh, for about an hour and a half, you're going to hear a DVD commentary that I recorded while stoned for Rocky IV back in December. Fuck what? Back in October. For now, I don't need to go much into the genesis of that recording because, as you will hear, my stoned self ends up talking about the DVD commentary throughout the DVD commentary, but suffice to say that it was Halloween time, and since Paranormal Activity was the scariest movie I ever saw in theaters, and since it's a movie about, to this day, I still have some pretty strong opinions, not only about the film itself, but also like the fallout and the sequels and everything, I thought it would be kind of neato bambino to smoke a little marijuana, and then record a DVD commentary of this super epoki movie for the Halloween season. The thing is this, though. I don't really smoke weed, and I don't think I've ever bought it except once in high school from a redheaded kid named James who, instead of putting it in a Ziploc bag, he sold it to me wrapped up in a crumpled sheet of notebook paper, just a single nugget of weed at the center of of unfinished homework. It, it works as a metaphor, but it's it's a lazy metaphor. But anyways, uh, James, the, the guy who sold me weed, James was pretty Jewish at the time. And I remember that when he didn't turn up to school for like a month, um, I, went, I went to a friend and I was like, hey, where's James? And my friend was like, oh, his mom found out he's a drug dealer. So she sent him to Israel. <laughs> Anyway, the one <laughs> anyway, the one time the one time I bought weed was because uh, my girlfriend at the time <laughs> my girlfriend at the time uh, who I dated from 
my sophomore year of high school to my sophomore year of college, she would get high with her friends on a fairly regular basis. And I had this weirdly huge issue about it. Like, it, it just scared the shit out of me that she smoked pot. And I, I would hassle her about it. I'd be a dick about it. I've only recently come to understand what that whole insecurity was all about. And it's like a fucking Russian doll of emotional baggage. Just bags within bags within bags. Something we you, we, you and I can unpack together in another episode. But so my parents were out of town one weekend. And you know I had the house to myself. And I was like, I need to get over this fucking weed thing. And stop giving my girlfriend such a hard time about it. So, despite my terror at the thought that my parents would somehow intuitively know that I had smoked weed, uh, I went to my redheaded friend and I bought some weed um, for Linda and I to smoke together. So, I buy the weed and I call her up and I say, hey, I bought some weed, we're going to smoke it. And she was like, all right, cool beans, uh, how much did you buy? I said, um, about a crumpled paper ball's worth. So, she came over and we smoked weed on the patio with Linda putting her hand on my chest like a doctor with a stethoscope and saying, you're not inhaling, you're still not inhaling. It seems I really didn't know how breathing worked back then. My first attempt to smoke weed was like trying to spoon feed a newborn. More smoke got on my mouth than in it. But eventually, I seemed to have gotten the right idea. The music started sounding better, I started giggling, my penis was like, oh hey. And so we went inside and we ordered a pizza and when it got there, we ate the entire thing while watching Family Guy in my bed. We were handing a two liter of Pepsi back and forth and drinking it straight from the bottle. It was a good experience. It was, it's kind of cute and innocent looking back. So anyway, yeah, I haven't smoked very much pot since then, which was about 11 years ago, but I've done a lot of drinking and I've learned in all of my drinking that if you're about to confront something that scares you, something that, something that stands to maybe do you a lot of good, but for which you've got to muster up a, a genuinely challenging amount of courage, it can be helpful in those circumstances if, you know, to have a beer beforehand or a small cup of wine maybe a shot of Jameson if you're really nervous. Incidentally, that reminds... Okay, uh, one of the most romantic things I ever experienced, by the way, was um, I was meeting up this very cute colleague of mine in college. We were going on a date, and while we were finally on the date, after, after we each had a couple beers, we confessed to one another that we had both crept into bars on opposite ends of the same Coral Gables street, um, and we'd both gotten a shot of Jameson to sort of brace ourselves for the date moments before the date. Which I thought was cute. We were kind of the same kind of nervous, and we coped with our nervousness in the same well, not in this in the same twenty-one-year-old way. Oh, oh my God, that reminds. Okay, quick digression. That what I just described to you. That was back in the day when I was going to Coral Gables all the time, and I'd, I'd explore the fucking alleyways and stairwells and shit at all hours of the night. It was kind of ridiculous. I'm I'm surprised in retrospect that I never got arrested or or worse. But there's a bakery in Coral Gables that has an outdoor stairwell leading up to its roof. And if you go up to its roof, you can see a really, if you go up there at night, you can see like a really pretty vista of the neighborhood. And I would go up there by myself on a fairly regular basis, I'm obviously trespassing, but I would go up onto the roof and I would just sit there by myself and I would look at the city and I would be mopey and pensive about where my life was headed. And, like I said, I was in Coral Gables every day. And I was at Books and Books every day. And there was another regular at Books and Books, a guy who at the time was in his 30s, and he was kind of stocky, and he had big curly hair. He was a bit of a hippie and not particularly well-informed. Um, but he was very friendly, and he, was, and he had a good sense of humor. And if you're 22 years old and you're day drinking and you've got nothing to do, well, then that's pretty much the company that you're looking for. And so I would chat with this guy now and then, and, and I told him about how I sometimes go up to this 
the cafe's rooftop um, a block over and how it's very peaceful and pleasant and isolated up there at night and I was I was just marveling to him about the fact that there there's n there's no one ever guarding the stairwell there's not even a like there is a gate it's just never closed there's no there's no cop there's no guard nothing to keep me or anyone else for that matter from just wandering up there and now in 2019 in retrospect I'm thinking about that day when I told when I told this other regular at Books and Books that story, and I'm placing in my mind extra emphasis on the way that he nodded at me when I said this, and he squinted, and then, as though giving it deep thought, he, he, said, aloud, he said aloud and confirmed the name of the bakery, and I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the bakery, and he said, dude, there's cameras there, and I said, oh my god, are you serious, and he said, yeah, dude, there and as of recently there are cops just doing rounds now up like up and down the street on foot like all every fucking night don't go up there anymore and i was like oh my god and, you know I, i've talked about this um in a, in a previous podcast th those kinds of those stories where you realize only in retrospect how much danger you were in of getting in serious trouble or getting hurt or something so this dude tells me this information and i'm like oh my god i almost got caught i could have gotten arrested whatever and i and i tell myself okay i'm not going up on that roof again fast forward a month or two, and I haven't gone up onto that roof again. But I'm on this really terrific date with this really terrific person, the one the one I was telling you about, the one where we both took shots of Jameson before the date. Uh, and so we're drinking at John Martin's, we're having a great time, and suddenly she lurches forward off of her stool and kisses me right there at the bar, which no woman had ever done to me before. I've, I've, I had always been the initiator of first kisses. And so to have this really cool, attractive person spring off of her stool and kiss me was like the most enchanting shit ever. And obviously I wanted, I wanted to do more kissing, but I wanted privacy so that we could maybe make it hot and heavy. Or, I don't know. But so I was noodling it and I didn't want to do it in the car. Um, and so I was like, Hey, I, I know this really, this really cool spot we should go to. I think you'll really like it. So we pay the bill and we leave. And I'm like, Oh, this, this rooftop is so romantic. She's going to dig it. We're going to make out forever. And so we go across the street, we, we get to the stairwell behind the cafe, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and she pauses at the bottom of the stairwell, and she goes, are you sure this is a good idea? And I was like, Psh, I come here all the time, it's fine, which clearly I was not, I was not being a good companion in that I wasn't able to read and respect the fact that like she was clearly uncomfortable about going up there, and now in retrospect I can only imagine how sketchy this must have looked to her. Um, definitely not one of my proudest moments, but... It happens. Um, so I start walking up the stairs, and she's following behind me, and we get to the roof. And it is as peaceful as I remember, and the sight is beautiful, and she is really impressed and delighted by it. And she's like, wow, this is so gorgeous, whatever, whatever. And eventually, we start kissing again. And we have barely locked lips when suddenly, sundering the darkness, we hear, What are you doing? It's this big, powerful voice that goes from zero to a hundred, and I scream like a fucking child, and I jump, and I turn around, and I see a homeless man sitting up from the corner of the roof, and he's all wrapped up in blankets, and his hair is huge, and he goes, this is private property, and he's just, he just starts screaming, and so I grab this woman's hand, and we sprint down the stairs, and we make it to the sidewalk, and the date kind of fizzles out from there. I walk her back to her car, she drives me back to mine, and it ends with a kiss and some handsiness, but nothing comes from it. The next day, I'm at work, I'm lamenting that the date ended on a bad note, and you know, nothing is going on in the tutoring center, and so I start spacing out and playing the evening back in my mind. I, I, I start reconfiguring what I could remember of the homeless dude who had yelled at us on the roof, and I remembered, 
he was stocky looking. I remembered the, the big frizzy hair that was outlined in the moonlight. And I realized it was the fucking guy from Books and Books. It was the guy who told me not to go back up there because he said there were cameras and cops on the sidewalk. Now, I don't know if he learned of the place from how I was describing it to him at the bar that night. And he thought, oh, hey, the, the roof of this coffee shop sounds like a good place to get some sleep. Or if maybe he had just been sleeping up there on a regular basis already and he wanted to scare me away from it. But it was nuts because the, also the dude always looked very put together. And he, every time I saw him at, well, either at a bar or a coffee shop in the Gables, he was always sitting with a cup of coffee or a beer or a meal in front of him. He's not... He didn't look like a guy who lacked for means, and but you know, I had no idea he was homeless. But I guess you never do know. I actually have another. Oh, you know, I actually have another story about the coffee shop. And I promise. Okay, we're gonna get back to what I'm supposed to be discussing here. But first, and and it's hardly even a story, frankly. Um, what happened is I was going out the following winter. I was going out with a woman named Jordan who lived in a two-bedroom apartment with four other people, and she was a flight attendant. And on our second date, I had this genius idea. And I never I never mention it to people because it is it is such a brilliant idea that I don't want anyone to steal it. But I'm going to give it to you because you're a listener and I love you and I hope you take this idea and, and enjoy it. Our, our second date was at a bar in South Miami called Brother Jimmy's Barbecue. It's not there anymore. It was on the first floor of Sunset Place. And before going to the bar, I went upstairs to Barnes & Noble and I bought a Where's Waldo book. And I carried it down to the bar where she was waiting for me. And she sees my bag and she goes, oh, what's in there? What'd you buy? And so I sit down beside her and I pull out Where's Waldo. And I set it on the bar between us. And I say, we're going to find this guy together. If you want to have a good time with someone you like, but you're still getting to know them and you kind of just want something to sort of superficially occupy yourselves while, while getting to know each other, meet them at a bar with a copy of Where's Waldo. It's the most genius dating idea I've ever had, and it is yours to keep. Enjoy it, and good health. And But so on a subsequent date, we meet up in the Gables, and I take her up to the roof of that cafe because I'm a fucking idiot, and I am immune to lessons. Fortunately, there was no homeless man up there this time, and it was it was pleasant. We, we kissed, and then we, we just sat there talking, and she had she had really long nails, and she filed them to a point, and she just, <laughs> she just sat and, like, scratched my back and... T- and told stories about being a flight attendant. It was better than sex, frankly. Um, yeah, definitely better. But it turns out that this lady was like a bit of a kinkster, apparently. And I wasn't really at a point yet where I was comfortable just jumping straight into bed with people. Not to say that she was comfortable just jumping into into bed with people, nor, nor to suggest that it's a bad thing if she were that kind of person. The point is, ju- my point is just that we were we were on different wavelengths. And I wasn't yet at her level of like sexual confidence and gregariousness. And and even now, frankly, at 28, before sleeping with someone, I try to do, I try to do something on the fourth date, um, where it's like, oh my god, I'm having such, I'm having so much fun with you. You know, there, uh, there's this really cool game I play with people where, um, okay, first, look, first we we suck on a lime, and then we each take a shot at tequila, and then we take turns giving detailed accounts of our respective medical histories and criminal backgrounds. You go first. But so this woman, Jordan, and I, um, we've gone on three dates, and then I'm at a Christmas party one night, and she sends me a text asking if I'm free to hang out. And this is like the third night in a row that she'd asked. And so I'm like, yeah, no, I can't do anything, and I'm sorry I'm doing this to you. Um, I said it as though I was abusing her with my busyness. And I said, but so I said, yeah, I'm sorry I'm, I'm doing this to you. I'm, I'm constantly busy, but you know, it's the holidays. I've got all, all these things with friends, with family. And she writes back, oh, that's okay, dot, dot, dot. What else are you willing to do to me? And I was frozen. Um, 
But also, I was 23. And when I was 23, I was still under the false impression that you have to respond to everything someone says to you. Especially a woman. And especially if you're dating that woman. Like, even if she says something that makes you wildly uncomfortable, you've got to respond with, like, chivalry and decorum, and you've got to be enthused and supportive and gracious. Now, thankfully, I've been divested of that habit. I know better. If somebody oversteps a boundary with you in conversation, especially if they overstep a boundary without realizing it and with the best of intentions, you just tell them. Even if it's something as gentle as you're on the second date and it's going really well and they start trying to initiate a conversation about sex and you're not comfortable with it, you just say, well, let's not take the conversation there just yet. And you'd say with a smile and you can tag on just yet at the end of it and, you know, it's fine. Just steer the conversation someplace else, but you have to let them know. No, like not only is it a critical way of standing up for yourself, but it does it does good things for the relationship. If your partner is like overstepping the line about something in conversation, you're only setting both of yourselves up for a lot of heartbreak when, you know, four or six months down the line, you're drunk and frustrated and you say to them, hey, you know those very casual jokes you've been making about you know, my scar or whatever? Um, you know, it, every time you do it, I, I secretly want to die. Everyone's going to feel horrible about that, so best to just be honest. But at 23, this was a truth that had not yet sort of graced my consciousness. Anyway, so she says to me, what else are you going to do to me? And it's, it's dripping with innuendo, obviously. I don't feel comfortable with it. And so I go, I... I am gonna take you to dinner again. And and that's the end of the story, which maybe was not worth telling. Um, I don't know. But anyway, as I was saying, I've done a lot of drinking over the past few years, but not a lot of pot smoking. And so when I sat down to get high before watching Paranormal Activity last month, I was kind of under the impression that, okay, this is just as much of an indulgence as alcohol. And I figured that because in my mind, I equate weed with alcohol for some reason, I figured that it would have the same kind of emboldening, tongue loosening effects if I were to smoke, if I were to get kind of high and then try to engage with something for a sustained period of time. Now, it turns out marijuana does a lot of things. It relaxes you, it makes you hungry, it alleviates pain and it helps you sleep and it makes sex a whole lot better you know what marijuana doesn't do? It doesn't make things less frightening. In fact, if I were to go out on a limb and give a pretty rash characterization of marijuana's properties, I'd go so far as to say that it takes scary things and makes them horrifying. <laughs> so I packed my little bowl, I took two or three hits that got me good and high, and then I got about 15 minutes into recording a commentary for Paranormal Activity before I found myself falling again and again into these quivering, fear-struck silences, and eventually I was like, okay, not only is this going to be a shitty DVD commentary, this is just, this is just going to be a resoundingly unpleasant experience. So I took out the DVD and I put on Rocky IV. And so this is just what, what, what I'm doing right now. This is just a quick intro. Um, it's not a formal episode, and it's probably going to be annoyingly repetitive because once the movie commentary begins, you're going to hear me say a lot of the shit over again. Although, even if you're not going to sit through the whole thing and watch the movie with me, um, there's a story I tell in like the first 15 minutes of the DVD commentary about how a homeless man put a curse on me when I was 18 years old. And so if you're interested in hearing another story, just rest assured that there's another one coming up real soon. And then when I start getting into talking about like the politics of Rocky Balboa, you can, um, you can, you can turn it off. But also before it begins, I want to say this, one of my favorite 
private rituals a couple days before Christmas every year is to sit on my bedroom floor or, or on my bed and I put on a movie and I just kind of listen to it absentmindedly and I glance up at it now and then and I just kind of enjoy its company while I wrap Christmas gifts. And so the ideal scenario in which I imagine you listening to the remaining 90 minutes of this podcast is to do something similar. You're wrapping gifts, you're painting, you're on a stationary bike, you're doing something physical, something rhythmic and intuitive and calming, and over in the corner on the TV, you've got Netflix open, and you're watching Rocky IV, which thankfully is on Netflix, and it's muted, and then somewhere closer to your ear, closer to your heart, you've got me, talking about what's on screen, and you can glance up now and then and commiserate. It's good. It's, uh, I'm here to be good company. Anyways, here it is, Rocky IV. Enjoy. guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. This is um, one of the... It's kind of... I mean, it's not rare. It's Okay, so this is... Nor is it even all that special. This uh, Right now, I am doing um, a DVD commentary of Rocky IV, which is not my favorite of the franchise, but Rocky is, like, my favorite franchise of all time. Rocky Balboa is one of my favorite movie characters of all time. And people, when I, when I say this to friends, they tend to be surprised the first time they hear that because I'm not athletic at all, and I show no disposition toward, like, even, in, I don't know, I don't even like watching sports. I, I can't follow it. I don't know. I have no preferred teams, whatever. Whatever city I'm in, I'm, like, go them. That's what I'm, that's my attitude in watching sports. Okay, so the place I am at, I, it's, all the Rocky movies are now on Netflix, blessedly. So I am at the 18 second mark on the time bar and if you're not if you're watching this on dvd or whatever it's i have paused the opening credits where i'm stopped at the, at the first card that says united artist presents and it's uh transitioning into the rocky four text uh, you can kind of see the rocky four text coming in so i'm gonna hit play and we're gonna watch this together so we're gonna watch this together and i'm hitting play right now Okay, a Robert Chartoff Irwin Winkler production. Boxing match sounds, says the subtitle. Oh, cool, fucking Netflix tells you the the rating in the corner. Is this rated PG? I thought it was PG-13. For adult content. Oh, man. Oh, they're playing the sounds of the ending of Rocky Three, where Rocky defeats Clubber Lang. And I have a lot to say about Clubber Lang, but maybe we should leave that for a Rocky Three commentary. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, my, my plan when it came to recording another DVD commentary was to do it for Paranormal Activity, which, uh, when I first saw it in theaters, fucked me up like no horror movie has fucked me up since, except for maybe Hereditary. Hereditary really upset me, and actually so did fucking The Strangers, which I saw, I guess, in like 2008, 2007. But, um, okay, yeah, they're showing the fight from the end of Rocky Three, which I think is... It's growing on me. I, I was not a big fan of Rocky Three the first few times I saw it. I don't know why I give it so many chances off the bat. I think because fucking um, Rocky Rocky Two is my favorite of the series, and I I love those first two movies so much that I kept I keep giving the other ones a chance, and the third one is one of the better ones. Um, it's certainly better than Part Four, I think. Uh, no, I should take that back. I don't know. Well, anyways, so to, to be honest. 
my plan for doing another DVD commentary was I was going to do Paranormal Activity. And so, and my friend has just bought me like the DVD box set that has all six of the Paranormal movies. So I sit down in my room and I put in the DVD and um, right away I'm like, yeah, this is a bad idea. Because shit's been going on that like, I don't know, I'm in this headspace where I probably shouldn't be doing horror. Um, mainly like, okay, so there was a couple things. The first is... I don't know. It's just on my mind because I um, wrote some like short story about a girl who meets the devil, and I think the title I put it on the blog. And oh, and also I read it out loud in the previous episode of the podcast. But it was it's called like Clarissa meets the devil and learns that he isn't so much evil as just weird. And one of my cousins, who's very religious, saw that I'd posted that. She saw the sort of the thumbnail on Instagram. And she was like, clearly you've never had any encounter with the real Satan. And then she put that emojo, emo, emojo, that emoji of um, like a woman slapping her face and like, oh, well, you're such a, you're such a fool. Um, and I'm sure that didn't come from a bad place. I'm sure she's just concerned about like I've blasphemed or I've invited something upon myself by by saying that. Um, anyways, it's been on my mind and it left sort of a sour taste in my mouth. And speaking of which, let me have a sip of this Pab's Blue Ribbon. Oh man, this I forgot about this fucking private boxing match that they have at the end of Rocky Three, and which is that then becomes like a really charming, interesting plot point in Creed uh, which came out I don't know, three years ago, four years ago which is also very good, it's one of the better movies in the entire franchise if in fact you want to connect the Creed movies with the Rocky franchise, or for some reason I know some people who for some reason are adamant about not doing that um, but yeah, so there was that demon thing uh, or no, fuck, that's the Satan thing and then the other a few nights ago, I was having a friend, uh, conversation with a friend about paranormal shit, and she pulled out her phone and like showed me some some uh, some photos she'd taken at like a haunted place. And uh, I don't remember this scene of someone with a camcorder. Is that? Oh, that's a little rocky. Um, yeah, I, I yeah I like this movie. <laughs> You know, it's one of those movies that you know so well for, like, the training montage and the actual fight scene that I forget so much of what happens in, like, the body of the movie. Um, yeah, so the other, the, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, so the friend was showing me paranormal things, and then I had this encounter when I was in, when I was a freshman in college when I first saw Paranormal Activity, where, like, it scared the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of everyone in that fucking movie theater. I saw it, uh, the first showing, um, opening night, and it, like, it, 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 it was you would never guess that it would go on to have the reputation that it has now as having as being like an unscary cop-out kind of movie like a big prank on the audience I mean, people were having like visceral fucking reactions in the theater I was one of them um, but shortly after I saw that um, I was driving from my parents house back to campus one night and because uh, I lived on on campus at FIU on 8th Street and um, yeah so I'm at a red light and I see there's a guy with a three-ring binder, and he's going from, like, car to car, and he's opening up the binder and showing people these laminated pages, and people are kind of, like, smiling sympathetically and then generally waving him away. And, um, oh, this is the robot. Happy birthday, Polly. Happy birthday, Polly. Um, so this dude comes to my window, and he's gesturing for me to, like, roll the window down, roll the window down. And I've noticed that other people have not been doing this wisely. So, but, but he's so adamant, and he's, like, right there. He's looking me in the face, and he's, like, roll the window down. So I roll the window down. 
And he's like, hey, man, I um, – and he reaches in, shakes my hand, tells me his name. And he's like, I fucking uh, – I do these design things on lowriders. And so he opens the three-ring binder and he starts showing me all the pages. And um, he's like sweeping through them real fast. And it's – yeah, it's, it's a bunch of pictures of lowriders with weird – you know, painting designs on them. I don't want to say they were unattractive, but it was just not the kind of thing I would ever imagine wanting to put on a car. But anyway, so he's showing me this and he's like, hey man, I, I just moved into the city and, you know, I'm trying to get some work again, doing this kind of shit on lowriders. And where can I, where do you think I can get a job doing that? And I was like, fucking, I don't know. But I, but I was 18 super like just just uncomfortable in my skin and so i'm like curling toward my steering wheel and i'm like i'm sorry i don't know where you can get a job fucking decorating lowriders and he's pressing me with questions pressing me with questions and then he goes uh you know okay uh, I, I don't know why i said like try hylia or try little havana at some place way north and he's like oh okay man oh could i get some money so i could you know take the bus down there i'll do that today i'll do i'll do that right away and I was like, oh, no, sorry, I don't have any money. He's like, come on, man, you got to give me something, something. And, like, he points out some change in my cup holder. And I go, sorry, I can't give you anything. And so I hit, I hit the tab on the um, on the window to roll it up. The window starts rolling up, and suddenly his face, like, in a, a fucking heartbeat, it, it sinks from, um, from, like, friendly and imploring to suddenly, like, he's furious. And as the window is rolling up, he sort of puts his mouth up to the opening between the window and, like, the top of the window frame. And he and he snarls at me and he goes, the demon kill you! And then he spits in my fucking car. Like, it, it, this big loogie just, like, flew across me and kind of across the passenger seat and it hit the passenger door. And, like, I just let the fucking window keep sliding up. And fortunately, he didn't, like, hit the glass or anything. But I drove, I drove away very, very fucking quickly. And when... I got, as I was driving, I had just seen Paranormal Activity, and so, like, demon shit was on my mind all the time. I was still having trouble sleeping, and now some strange dude with a Caribbean accent had just invoked a demon and demanded it to kill me, and he spat in my car! So, like, there's there's fluid, there's human fluid that's not mine, and it's in my, it's right beside me, and someone has just demanded a demon to kill, like, it... I always think of that in relation to, like, watching Paranormal Activity, and part of me is like, haha, wasn't that a funny story, and I was in, like, the right state of mind to be freaked out, but then, like, to be honest, I still don't like thinking about it, um, I walked around for, like, two weeks, they, they, first of all, anything threatening or bad that happened to me, I was like, the demon, but also, um, I was just convinced, like, he didn't say when the demon kill me, he just said the demon kill me, and so, for, like, two weeks, I was like, oh, it's coming, any minute. And now, I mean, obviously I loosened up because other things started coming to mind, but now, like, every now and then there's still part of me that's like, yeah, he didn't give me a time limit. Like, maybe as soon as I drove away, he, like, took out a notepad and you, or I don't know, like a Ouija board, and he was like, actually, wait seven years. Um, I don't know. I th like, the movie feels like a haunted movie. Uh, I think I heard an anecdote, I don't know if it's true, that when Steven Spielberg like, Steven Spielberg saw it at home. Someone had mailed him a disc of it, and it so freaked him out. And I think, like, the power in his house went out while he was watching it. It was in the middle of the day, and that he took he took the disc, and he wrapped it in a trash bag, and he put it somewhere, like, away from him. He was so freaked out. <sighs> so, yeah, I started watching Paranormal Activity. I got, like, 15 minutes in, and I was recording a whole fucking commentary track, and... Uh, 
I just got too spooked and I fucking turned it off. And now I switched over to Rocky Four. I was thinking like, you know what? I'll subject myself to paranormal activity. It's going to scare the shit out of me. And, but I'll get, you know, the sound of me freaking out on the microphone and won't that be worth it? And then afterwards, because it's still relatively early, I will be able to watch Rocky Four as like a palate cleanser and it'll get me feeling good. Um, and yeah, I couldn't even make it to like the halfway point of paranormal. And fuck, I would have been so pissed if I'd gotten to the halfway point of paranormal activity and I was like, actually, you know what? Fuck this noise. I forgot this whole thing of um, Apollo Creed being in the pool. And, um, yeah, I, th I guess my memory of this movie is like, I remember the happy birthday Polly robot and, but I guess I thought it just kind of like that, that Apollo Creed's fight with Drago was already set and that like, they just went from the birthday party to, to the fight or something. I don't know. This is probably not shaping up to be a great commentary. Um, yeah, something I really like about the Rocky movies, hold on. something I really like about the Rocky movies, and maybe it's kind of a silly egg-headed appraisal, but I think it's a great, <clears throat> it's a, it's a simple, like, f fighting is such a valuable metaphor, like, everyone talks about you, you fight against cancer or some kind of illness, you fight against injustice, you fight, and obviously they don't mean, you know, you're throwing hands, it's just the idea of you and an opponent or an assailant, an aggressor, whatever, um, that one-on-one -on -one thing, it's just, I don't know. The image of the boxer is just so universal. And that's why, like, these movies have such a huge audience. They're so compelling for so many people. And um, why they've endured. And uh, the first Rocky is as good. Doesn't feel dated, really. Um, anyways, what was I getting at? Fuck. God, this is harder than I remember. Yvonne is naturally trained. Hmm. Oh, yeah, the thing that I really... <laughs> the thing that I really like about the Rocky franchise is that um, it's... Yes, it's so it's got that sort of classic adversarial thing, good guy, bad guy. But the bad guys are never actually bad guys. Um, what I think Rocky... The series beautifully illustrates is the difference between a villain and... An antagonist. So, um, generally, I think Clubber Lang is a better example, but um, Drago is a yeah, Drago is a perfect one too. It's like because Drago is you know genetically enhanced and shit. Um, he's taking steroids and whatever. He's super tall. He's foreign. He's he's speaking Russian, and this is made in the Cold War. Um, he seems villainous uh, just right off the bat, and he's got like I don't know. He looks like a Gestapo guard. Um, Sorry, mouth's a little dry. Um, so, but he's not really a bad guy. He's just, he is a, he's the antagonist just insofar as he has a goal that cannot be achieved unless the protagonist's goal is botched, and we don't want that to happen. Like, we really have no reason to believe that in their daily lives... Ivan Drago is not just as considerate and friendly as Rocky Balboa. 
It's not like, you know, like in a lot of movies, in order to really make you hate the bad guy, they will show the bad guy doing something kind of like casually cruel in his daily life, um, you know, kicking a dog or something. And uh, they don't do that in the Rocky movies. In the Rocky movies, it's really just about like, here are two f- very formidable fighters who want the same thing, and it can only go to one of them. Hey, long burp. Even fucking Tommy Gunn, the villain in... Hey, fuck, I call him the villain. The the opponent, the assailant, the adversary, the antagonist of uh, fucking Rocky V is just a kid who's being misguided by a really shitty manager. Clubber Lang from the last one, he was also one of like the most you know foaming at the mouth, ostensibly villainous um, opponents in all the Rocky movies. He's the underdog, and he's only being an, an asshole to... Um, to Rocky, he's only calling him out in public and doing really antagonistic shit and, and p- proudly wearing the moniker of bad guy is because he knows that's, that's the only way he's going to get his chance um, in the ring with the champion. He wants to be a champion, and he has realized, okay, the only way for me to do that is to call him out, humiliate him. That's the only way he's going to agree to fight me because I'm a nobody. Like, we get no scenes of Clubber Lang and Rocky Three being an asshole in private. It's not like we see him, you know, at the ice cream parlor and he's, you know, saying, you call that a scoop or, or, or whatever. And same thing here with Apollo Creed. He, they, they show explicitly in Rocky Two that he's, like, a devoted father and husband. And in Rocky, he's like, yeah, his, his, in the first movie, he, he agrees to fight Rocky and it's totally a publicity stunt for himself, but... There is something good that comes along in the publicity stunt, which is he is going to give an underdog, unknown fighter a chance to win the championship. And then, of course, Rocky uh, loses the championship. But um, that's not what matters. What he had said, what what's great about the Rocky franchise, another thing that runs throughout it, is his whole thing of, like, it ain't over till it's over. And the phrase, go the distance, is one of the most enduring things that's come out of the franchise. And it's because there's this scene... Um, it's a couple scenes prior to the fight in the first Rocky movie where he's in bed with Adrian and he's curled up. He's he's Little Spoon. Like, you know what? Like me. I'm a fucking proud... I, yeah, Little Spoon. Um, so he's Little Spooning and he's, like, on the brink of tears and he's staring out. He's got, like, the fog of war eyes and he's telling Adrian, um, fucking... What's he telling her? Oh, he's like, you know, I don't even care about winning against Apollo tomorrow. I just need to go the distance. I need to last all however many rounds it was. I think it's 10. He's like, I need to I need to last all those rounds and show just for myself, basically, that I'm not just another guy from the block. I'm not just some other schlub who boxes a little bit recreationally, but he's not that passionate about it. In fact, I think you could get a... I think you could say with some fairness that uh there's really nothing in the first rocky movie maybe in any of them to suggest that rocky is a real like fan of the sport uh he kind of just does it and in the first in the first rocky it's not like he's he's spouting you know the the records of of his favorite fighters or whatever he just he fights for a little money and he trains for it you know kind of half-heartedly but mostly he's just muscle for these mobsters he's a, uh, he collects on behalf of a loan shark if i'm remembering correctly more beer and another weird thing in um all the fucking Rocky movies is um, this thing about fighters needing to be persuaded. 
um, or dissuaded. When Rock, when Rocky, when Stallone was writing Rocky Six, he um, in the original draft he had Adrian, uh, Rocky's wife, alive in the movie, and um, he said like as he would go through those early drafts it was just you know the same old shit of rocky saying okay i want to do this big ridiculous sensational fight and adrian saying you're too old you're too damaged you do this you do that and he was like she's she's just this perpetual voice of discouragement and of course she would have to be um if you know we're on rocky six and she's established a precedent through all these movies of having been dragged through balboa's fucking fight life drama it, you that's that's how you would have to go with the character you couldn't suddenly depict a 65 year old adrian as being more cool with her aging decrepit husband's fighting than she was you know 25 years earlier that, anyways so he kills off adrian uh between uh part five and part six and it was for that reason it's because he wanted to show rocky being supported in his goals to be a fighter and uh, or in his goal to have that one more one final public exhibition fight and in all the other movies after i guess beginning with rocky 2 you have some people discouraging him from getting back in the ring with apollo because they they so destroyed one another in the first one and then in rocky 3 you have people simultaneously discouraging and encouraging him to fight clubber lang and rocky 4 you have yeah, the same thing. Rocky Five is Rocky Five is oh my god. Yeah, I, I I really fucking hated it for a long time. And then I think three years ago, I had what was it? Oh yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. I had some kind of stomach virus. I forget what it's called. And I was in bed for like three days, and I watched Rocky Five again. And like I remember, it was still a piece of shit. We were still really dumb, but it was much better than I remembered. Um, I remembered it as being like this monosyllabic fucking melodramatic, just a nightmare. It's not that, but it's, it's really not good. But in Rocky five, another thing is like the big fight at the end between Rocky and Tommy Gunn, this kid he'd been training all along. It, it kind of just comes out of nowhere. It's not like planned for. So it's not like these other ones where, you know, they set a date for the fight and now we can have Rocky be simultaneously encouraged and discouraged up leading up to the date because everybody knows that the fight is going to happen. And what's weird in Rocky five, like the fight starts happening and everyone's aboard with it. Like everyone in town in this, in this very tight community is like, yeah, let's, yeah, let's watch this. Let's, let's, let's allow for this to happen. And there's even a weird fucking cut. I don't know who okayed this, where the the priest, who I think has also appeared in all the Rocky movies up to up to Rocky Five, the fucking priest is standing on the hood of a cop car, cheering on the fight. And like, how can you be editing this movie and think that that image makes any sense? Like, not even just sense within like the world of the movie, just sense. Why? How a priest standing on a cop car during a big sensational street fight cheering it on I anyways that stays with me and you know what what wouldn't surprise me is if I go back to Rocky 5 or one of you watches it right now and then you tell me that it does that scene is not in the movie like watch watch this have been something that my fucking imagination contrived what the fuck is going on outside oh it's my fucking douchebag neighbor who has that um micro penis car anyways so here we are in the in the fucking dressing room and rocky is talking with apollo apollo's super confident um see i'm in the best shape of my life i'm stronger 
And now here's Rocky discouraging him, even though it's um, like the night of the fight. Oh, yeah, he's saying postpone it a couple weeks. Um, hmm. But yeah, so it is a convention in all the Rocky movies that someone is having to be persuaded to participate in the fight or to get on board with supporting the fighter through the encounter. Um, but I guess that's, I was going to say, is that is that just something that's in every movie where someone has to be persuaded of something? And no, it's just, it's a Rocky thing. Um, but, you know, there's 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 some ways in which it could be like repetitive and lazy, but there's also something where it's just like, no, that's that's these movies. That's what they are. <laughs> um, it's about coming around to things and dedicating yourself. I don't know. Nah, I don't know. But they are good movies, man. Or maybe they're not. Like uh, Rocky 1 and 2 are definitely good movies. Rocky 6, I think, is great. Creed is fucking great. Um, don't know if you can say that about 3, 4, and 5. But I like them. I don't know. I like the I uh, excerpted in one of the podcasts um, some audio from what's his name uh, an interview that Mick Garris conducted with Rob Zombie and Rob Zombie's talking about how um, there if, if a movie is made with like sincerity and there's a serious like a real sensibility behind it and the filmmaker is genuinely trying to realize his vision then even if it's not necessarily a good movie it's got personality it's got charm and that makes it endure better than you know some 200 some you know emotionless 22 million dollar fucking whatever 22 million that's not a lot of money in hollywood it would have to be like 200 million um yeah so i'm gonna get back to this point if i can fucking remember what i'm talking about but this scene where ivan drago is standing in the ring and these the floor the ceiling is opening up and the, the the ring is rising up into the audience and Dolph Lundgren talks a lot about the filming of this scene. And he's like, I was 20 or 21 years old, something like that. And the surprise on Drago's face here, as he's looking around at the crowd, at the dancers, at the opulence, the lights, um, everything. And he's dazzled and he's slack jawed like that. Dolph Lundgren says that that's basically how he was reacting to the set. Cause like he was just a kid and he'd never really been in the spotlight at all. And um, yeah, this was just, so that's uh, allegedly his genuine reaction. And yeah, it does look pretty genuine. And um, yeah, I guess if you're acting in that scene, it'd be pretty easy to get in touch with the feeling. James Brown. Uh, this is another thing from the Rocky franchise that I don't know who fucking thought this is a good idea. It's, some people say Rocky Four that it's basically a music video because apart from this, if I remember it correctly, unconscionably long music video entrance, um, there is... Oh, yeah, with James Brown singing uh, Living in America while Apollo Creed descends on... Yeah, fucking... Anyways. Um, yeah, also, there's like two 10-minute montages that are just music, music, music. And, uh, yeah. So, this is one of the ways that you know shit's going to go wrong. Obviously, like, there's, you know, an ostensibly major fight taking place 20 minutes into the movie. So, we know that this is not going to be the be-all, end-all. Um but another thing is, 
Apollo Creed is showing vanity and hubris and that Rocky, the Rocky franchise is a pretty Christian thing. Um, it's, it's not made much of, but obviously we see Rocky has that relationship with that priest that endures through all these movies. He wears a cross and before the fights he gets, he kneels in a corner and he prays. So there, I, there's even, I remember when Rocky Balboa came out, there was some, some, I don't know what you would call it, part of the paramount publicity team or united artists publicity team whatever and they had these packets that they would send to churches for like uh sunday school so that they could screen the rocky movies for the congregants and then sermonize about them and you know examine their christian themes and stuff and look see apollo creed is getting into the ring with drago and he's doing this antagonistic showboat stuff. And Drago, you can see he's kind of flinching away from it. And he looks genuinely insecure. He looks legitimately overwhelmed by all the shit going on around him. And he's a frightened kid. He looks like a fucking killing machine because he's like six foot fuck and 300 pounds of solid muscle. But that's that's touching back on the um, antagonist thing. Um, so... Yeah, this has some religious subtext to it, and that's why we can tell that Apollo Creed is going to get it in this one, because he's not being very modest. Um, and Rocky's all about modesty. Not even interested in winning, really. Um, although, you know, what the fuck was he trying to accomplish by fighting Drago after Apollo died? In the ring with Drago, like you're not gonna what? Like you could, are you trying to kill him? Are you trying to bring back Apollo? That's not gonna happen. And if you're trying to kill, like if you're using this as like a legal way to kill him back, it's just it shows a kind of psychopathic side. It's like like just I, that's like a psychopathic degree of vengefulness on Rocky's behalf. So it's kind of not in his character that he would do anything that happens in this movie. Although, you know, I guess you could use it to read in, read some ugly things into Rocky. Rocky has appeared in so many fucking movies now. He's been around for so long. Hold on. Excuse me. He's been around for so long that it's kind of like an uncle. You don't see that often, but you've seen him for a long time and you've seen the ebbs and flows of his career and of his private life. And you can kind of glean at this point from episodes spanning all the movies, that Rocky does have some kind of fucked up shit in his head, uh, or just like behavioral issues. Um, he like he doesn't lash out that much in like in public, and he doesn't like you know start fights except for that one time that he fought somebody in a in, <laughs> in the street fight in Rocky Five. Um, but the fact that he flies into these commitments where it's like, okay, you're going to have to spend several months living in a gym so that you can then be isolated in a room, in a little box with lots of spotlights and cheering people. And you're going to try to beat a man to death or not to death, I guess, but you're going to try to beat him until his brain malfunctions and he goes and he falls to the ground. Right, so that's our first bit of what I guess you might call foreshadowing. Why not? Where Apollo tries to fist bump um, Drago, and Drago's hands don't budge. Um, and we realize he is quite strong. Who would have thought that the gigantic steroidal man is strong? 
you know, he's so fucking arrogant in this movie. Here he is, the bell rings, and he, he, you know, brushes Rocky aside, and he's like, be back in a minute. I almost am glad. Like, I'm not going to say I'm glad he's dead, but uh, there is... There is, even for the people supporting Apollo, which should be the general audience, um, there is a, there's, there's a degree of satisfaction in seeing him get what he gets. Like, you're that much of a fucking showboat. This is what happens. I don't know. What's it with me and, like, being so bothered by, uh, this is a good fight. Um, being so bothered by confident people. It's like I still have so much, I wasn't, like, picked on in high school, but. I wasn't popular, really. Um, so I guess I've got a resentment of people who look like, who are just like, have that bombastic athlete kind of, I'm the greatest, I'm perfect, I'm awesome. You're lucky you're in my company. I don't know, sometimes it's cool. Frankly, I don't even, like, in Muhammad Ali, um, I think he's he's an interesting public figure, but um not really interested in, in him as an athlete, and I'm like totally turned off by the showboating. I can see it's like great theater and um <coughs> I remember they would do like I uh when uh, Con- uh Conor McGregor was fighting um the fuck's his name? <laughs> I was gonna say Mayflower. Oh, Floyd Mayweather. When McGregor and Mayweather were gonna fight, um they would do these publicity things. Um kind of like a weigh-in and they would it would be in arenas and they would just insult each other back and forth and i had a friend it was just it just whetted everybody's appetite for the fight and uh, i had a friend who referred to them he went to one and he's referred to them i think appropriately as insult concerts and again i see totally understand how it riles people up gets them excited um and it's a good marketing strategy. It's sensational. It's fun. It's entertaining. No one's getting hurt with it. But it just so turns me off. Like any kind of display of like, I don't want to say flagrant confidence because I don't, I don't know. I, I don't mean to suggest that confidence is like inherently fucking what, um, not good or like sh- I, the same thing as showboating. Um, I don't know. No matter what he says, do not throw in that towel no matter what. And then he looks aside, and you see his fucking wife, like, looking at him, terrified, expecting the worst, and of course, the worst thing happens. Um, that's another thing I've always wondered about the Rocky movies, is like, yeah, Adrian is really only there to either cheer or to discourage him. And, um, there's a good movie to be made, I'm sure, about, like, from her perspective of just being dragged through this man's life, Rocky's. Um, Good man, seems like good father, good husband, but fuck, he's got this crazy thing about oh, I need to fight people, I need to, I need to punch people. Um, I don't know, poor woman, man. You know, now I'm looking at. Oh, that's the finishing blow. Oh my god, they do these dramatic zoom. Ooh. These dramatic zooms as he as he falls down in slow motion, but it's not very smooth slow motion. It's a stop, stop and go. It's not stop motion, but it's stop motion ish. Oh Jesus! And does that twitch when he falls? Oh Jesus! All right, sip. So now, they put the microphone in front of Drago, and Drago 
has just um, fucked up Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed is about to die from this fight. And um, Drago is looking around, and he still looks like a frightened kid. And he says, like, I cannot be defeated. I will defeat anyone. And um, that's the kind of dialogue where you're like, fucks this this dude's a bad guy. He's so arrogant. Um, First of all, even saying that, he's not as arrogant as Apollo Creed. But anyways, he... But anyways, you it's you could argue, and I'm sure it's probably just stilted acting that gives it this impression. But you could argue that the character, this young character Drago, is being coached to say those things that he, because his handlers are clearly dealing hand, handling every aspect of his like brand. It's totally conceivable that they have coached him in what to say after every victory. Particularly here, where they're like trying to build the name for him in the United States. And so, obviously, they're going to be like, yo, when they turn those cameras on you, here's what you got to say. Um, when I would work for the Ghost Rider, and uh, the Ghost Rider would cover people's, you know, social media stuff and just general media things, um, he would coach them on how to behave for the for the camera. I learned a lot. But, um, yeah, I mean, when, you're, when you have a client who's, like, trying to build their public brand, just everything is basically scripted. Um, you prepare. You have all these contingency plans for what you will say if you're asked this sort of thing. Um, sort of exit strategies for getting out of difficult conversations. Um, anyways, yeah. <coughs> Here he is picking up the belt and putting it on the casket. And um, Apollo Creed is presumably going to be buried or interred with that. No, Mickey's the one who's interred in Rocky Three when he has a heart attack after Clubber Lang shoves him. Um, God, again with that weird slow motion thing. So, I've always wondered that about like title belts in um, what the fuck in uh, wrestling and just combat sports. Um, how many are there? Like, how many of those belts are there? Is there only one? What if you break it? Is it exp- I wonder how much it costs to make that belt. And this is a cool maneuver by the filmmakers where they make it, they do that like montage of newspaper clippings that suggest very quickly that not, not only suggest, they communicate the entirety of like Rocky's effort to get cleared to organize a fight between Rocky and Drago. Yes, it's a clever maneuver. But it's also kind of lazy because I think the filmmakers were like, how, how would this happen legitimately? And their imaginations did not take them far enough in that direction. Oh, he wants to fight on Christmas. I forgot that. It's a Russia. Are you nuts? Rocky, what's going on? Why did you agree to this? We fight in Soviet Union or we fight nowhere. Um, Bridget Nielsen is there. Um, she went on to marry Stallone after this movie. And... About a year ago, my brother was in Starbucks in Pinecrest, and Bridget, I think it's Brigitte Nielsen, Nelson? anyways, she approached him and, like, started kind of hitting on him. I don't know if you can say that about, like, someone who's, I don't know. You could easily be like, I wasn't hitting on your brother. But anyways, I believe my brother, Bridget Nielsen, was hitting on him, and um, apparently she got pregnant, like, a few months after that. She's kind of old, right? Well, old for a, old for a pregnancy, maybe pushing 60. Yeah. 
Oh, Jesus. They give... I'm the unsilent majority, Big Mouth. Um, they give Pauly political commentary. I forgot about that. Oy, oy, oy. Perhaps the simple defeat of this so-called champion will be a perfect example of how pathetically weak your society has become. I wonder what the conversation was like amongst the writers of this movie when they... And then the producer, it was just in the early stages when they were discussing the political discourse that takes place in this movie. Did they think it was like really insightful? Was it a gimmick where they like, yeah, we don't really give a fuck, but we should be topical. Um, God, it's so weird. You see uh, Adrian there. She's driving what is clearly supposed to be a very fancy car, but it's a car you still see around town sometimes. And it's always in horrible condition, obviously, because it's an 80s model. Um yeah, look at the look at this. Oh, see, okay, so the paparazzi are there in their driveway. They're like, "Oh, are you going to Russia?" And she's like, "I'm not going to Russia." And they're like, "When are you going to Russia?" And she's like, "I'm not." And you see, just because Talia Shire is a very good actor, you see like genuine panic and distress there because she doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about, and you can tell from the look on her face that she knows she is married to a man who has just put her in a horrible fucking position where she's probably going to have to go to Russia. She doesn't know why. She's thinking, oh, I got I got fucking kids. Um, right? Kids plural, I think. Maybe it's just... No, I think it's just the one. Yeah. And here she is confronting him on the stairs. See, he shows up late at night. Like, where the fuck were you? And now she's just got that question. Like, why'd you do it? Dude, someone, yeah, someone should make a movie about what Adrian fucking went through. Um, I go leave this place too. So, yeah, like, you see what Stallone was talking about? Like, oh, Adrian was just this voice of, you know, just constantly discouraging Rocky. But look at her there at the top of the stairs, middle of the night. Her husband comes home. Uh, she's already been through a lot with him. I don't know if he saw the first three movies, but she's been through a lot with him. And he's like, yeah, I got to fight this guy. I got to fight this guy. And I guess we're just supposed to reflexively sympathize with him because one, we paid to see Rocky fight someone. And two, we, we like him. We know he's a hero of the movie. And so reflexively, we're like, oh, Adrian is fucking being a bitch or something. Like, she's super discouraging. She's not letting him live his dream. But his dream is fucking stupid. It's a revenge fantasy. It's not only stupid, it's like immoral. Why are you going to go, you're going to fly to the other part of the fucking globe and you're going to, you're going to fight this man because he killed your friend and in, 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 by accident in a fucking vicious sport. And she's like, why are you going to do this? He's like, I'm a fighter. We can't change who we are. You can't change anything, Adrian. All we can do is just go with what we are. And she says, you can't, I fuck. Let me not read you the movie you're watching. And here she says, it's suicide. Look, and yes, there she goes. She bellows it out. You can't win, Rocky. That's, that is a fine thing to say. I understand it's like you want to support your spouse, whatever, and Rocky has clearly demonstrated that when he puts his mind to something, he can really defeat a formidable opponent. But sometimes, I've been in this situation, when you're talking with someone you care about, and they're going to do something super fucking reckless... Sometimes you just get serious, like you, you, you deliver the truth in as abrasive and confrontational a way as possible in the hopes of maybe discouraging them. Like I'm sure Adrian kind of thinks that yes, maybe Rocky can pull this off, but it's also like, 
if he doesn't, it's not like that she's just trying to discourage him and make him think less of himself. She's like, I don't want to be a fucking widow. God damn it, Rocky. I have such complicated... It's like, I'm married to this dude, it sounds like. I'm so fucking emotionally invested. Oh, yeah, now the music playing. This is it's, this is not Hearts on Fire that they're playing. What song is this? Subtitle? No, the subtitle just says music playing. Oh, my God. His fucking, his fucking license plate says Southpaw. So, oh my god it's one of those touches that's both horrible and like great because it it gives this movie character it makes it so distinct among all the other installments in the franchise when really it's like not it's certainly not the best but it's got maybe after rocky one it's probably got the most like cultural cachet like people know about fighting the russian I wonder how this did at the box office. It must have done fine because they made another one. Although, they made Rocky V, and then I don't think they let him do that shit for like 15 years again. Like it was, It's a long-ass gap between Rocky V and Rocky VI. It's funny watching the trainer turn his head in slow motion. Oh, now they're showing us flashbacks from Rocky Three, The Bromance in the Ocean. The Brotion. Um... Yeah, this is kind of annoying that they play back shit that we just fucking watched. Um, that's really lazy. Shouldn't do that. I remember, I think the most egregious example I ever saw of that, oh my god, then they show clips from Rocky 1 and 2. Fuck, that shit hits me in the feelings. Um, what was I talking about? What was I talking about? Um... Don't remember. Oh, yeah, no. Okay, so the most egregious example of, like, fucking a movie showing flashbacks of shit that just happened is Saw 3. I think there are scenes in... Or there are scenes in Saw 3 where they are showing you a flashback to something that literally happened a minute ago. Um, And it's supposed to, like, I don't know, give you some new perspective on what's unfolding. See... He's flashing back to all this shit from the first three movies, and it gives the impression. I just saw Rambo 5, and Rambo 5 opens and ends. No, it ends with a montage of clips from all the other Rambo movies, and you can tell he's doing that because he thinks that this is going to be the last one. I don't think that Stallone will stop at Rambo 5. I think there will be another one, even though it's called Last Blood. Fucking, I think there are two. Friday the 13th movies that have subtitles indicating their conclusion. But okay, so here he is. He's flashing back across all the movies. So that gives me the impression that he must have gone into Rocky IV thinking that it was going to be the last one. Also, if he is getting ready to fight to to fight Ivan Drago in Russia for the re, for the purposes of avenging his friend's death, why why is he right now thinking so much about shit that he did alone in Rocky's 1 and 2? Like, we're seeing footage of him making out with Adrian. Why would he be thinking about making out with Adrian when he's about to fly to Russia to try to kill a man who killed his his best friend? That's a strange time to start thinking about someone you do coitus on. Um, The birth of their son, we see...
Yeah, so you can see that the um, accusation of Rocky Four being a music video is not totally unfounded. I, I'm like I know that this is this is famously a long scene, but now that I'm watching it, I'm kind of amazed by how fucking long it is. Oh boy. Um, some dude like followed me home today or tried to for a while. Um, I haven't really had any trouble with homeless people in my area at all. I've seen them do some weird shit sometimes, but um, well, yeah, I'm friendly with some. Most of them we just ignore each other, kind of. And um, but today I was walking home and this dude, like, I got a vibe he was following me. So and I was still a few blocks from my apartment. So I crossed the street and then he crossed the street and I kept walking the same direction. And then, excuse me, after like a block of walking in the same direction, I um, crossed the street again and kept walking the same and he crossed the street to follow me. Um, eventually I went inside a car dealership near my apartment and um, fortunately they have like a snack bar. And so I went up there and I bought a soda and I just kind of leaned on the counter for a while. And um, I watched the sidewalk to see if he was going to walk by and like, but he didn't. So I was like, fuck, when I walk out of here, he's going to be like standing on the side someplace waiting to f keep following me. <laughs> and, um, but he wasn't, I, I mean, I, or maybe he was watching me and I just didn't notice, but, um, yeah, I fucking circled the block a couple times and then went home and that, and that's like on my mind now. Um, I'm watching Rocky four and thinking about that dude who tried to follow me home. Um, I wonder what he was going to do. He was just bored maybe. Because sometimes, like, what would what are you going to do to entertain yourself if you're homeless? I mean, scare out, scare, scare out, as I say, freak out. Just freak some people out. Get your kicks. They do seem to have fun sometimes. At least the guys who hang out outside of Presidente and sell drugs. Um... Yeah, see, they take pains to show that Rocky is a good guy. Like, they show him doing shit in private. You're telling him his, telling his son that his son's the fucking man. And uh, if they were interested in really making you hate the villain, they would do that with the villain. But because they so consistently do not, because they so consistently show us only the most exterior performative characteristics of his opponents... Um, We can kind of, I guess, project more onto them. They're kind of, like, more mysterious that way. Although, I guess, I don't know. With Rocky II, it was kind of two men competing against their egos, their own egos. And so we saw a little bit more depth to Apollo Creed in the way that his, um, his substandard victory against Rocky in the first one really fucked with his sense of identity. You can see, yeah, with both of these guys, I guess if you want to, like... I don't know if you even call this a flaw or is it just like a nuance to their character, but um, both of these guys have serious ego problems and have a lot invested in how the world sees them on like that in the ring. I was going to say on that stage. Boy, what a horrendous fight, says Paulie.
Polly's not so great either. Like, Polly's good comedic relief, but I would say he's kind of the most rep... No, he's decidedly the most reprehensible character in the fucking franchise. Um, especially in the first Rocky, we see how abusive he is to Adrian, which, if you want to, you know be generous you can say that it's like a manifestation of his own insecurities because he says some things about you know he always thought he would amount to more and this is not the life that he wanted um but like he fucking picks up a baseball bat and, and threatens them in the first one he's he's abusive he drinks too much he he leeches off people he's lazy He should. He, he. They should have had him fight Polly at some point. That would have been pretty gratifying. Polly needs to get hit. Oh, he does get hit in Rocky Five. That's why Rocky fights Tommy Gunn. It's because Tommy Gunn punches Polly. <clears throat> oh, he's seeing those icicles on the outside of. Uh, that guy's wearing a nice cardigan. Um, seeing those icicles reminded me, um, I had watched Dr. Zhivago recently for the list and, um, it was all right, but apparently, um, the scenes in like Siberia or wherever with all those icicles hanging from the house, they shot that in a studio and like the icicles are made of wax and you can, you can see them like wobbling sometimes when the actors bump into them. I, Dr. Zhivago is all right as a movie, but it's fucking like three and a half hours and it's just not my shit. I do not like period pieces. I especially don't like period piece romances. And this is like a sprawling love story taking place across war and whatever. Um, the guy who made it, David Leach, made another movie. Um, or is it Lear? Leach. I think it's Leach. He made Lawrence of Arabia, which was, oh my God, a fucking headache. Not a fan of that movie. Um, so they're telling Rocky, okay, you've got these official chaperones, and they're basically spies, obviously. Um, here we've got Rocky. It, this is like an okay boomer moment. Um, not Rocky, fucking... What the hell is his name? Polly is complaining like, oh, there's no antennas at this place. It's fucked up. You got to complain. Uh, how am I going to get by without TV, basically? And then we hear so often. I don't know. Millennials were always being denounced for the fact that we're so dependent on our phones. But I don't know if a previous generation was any less dependent on like television and radio. I hope they got my comics here. So Polly reads comic books as well. Here he is falling into this. Yeah, he's just intended to be comic relief. I shouldn't take him so seriously. But, like, he's a genuinely complicated... Complicated character in the first Rocky. And after that, yeah, he's just relegated to comic relief. And there's a part of me that always wants to see... That more authentic, original part of him... Sort of honored. Which I guess it kind of is with his last appearance in Rocky Balboa... Um, he's much more, you know, his own character. Here we see Duke checkmating his, uh, Russian chess opponent. See Rocky lining his mirror with the photos of people who matter. First there's his son, and then above that, Ivan Drago. 
maybe that's good. Like if you're really going to be the best at what you do, you got to be like crazy obsessive about it. And maybe at like the expense of, I don't know, familial obligations and shit. Cause I don't think there's many like major artistic achievers where if you look at their biography, it shows that they were the most dedicated spouse or the most loyal or the, you know, maybe it's just not necessarily suggesting infidelity. Um, but just that if you're going to be great, really great at something, you probably don't have room in your mind and your life and your schedule for another person. So I tend to think that like with any kind of professional greatness, probably there's a toll taken on your social life. You're going to have to go through hell worse than any nightmare you've dreamed. But in the end, I know you'll be the one standing. Remember, there's a there was a series on VH1 called I Love the 80s, and I think they did I Love the 70s and 90s, and then eventually the 2000s. And I think they did the 2000s one before the 2000s were over. They did it in like 2006 or something. Um, but it, in their thing about the 80s, and this year in particular, I think this is 1986, um, they talk about how Rocky is all wrapped up in winter wear, and he's running in the snow, and... Uh, yeah, but then he gets to the fight and he takes off his clothes and he's got like the perfect tan. But he doesn't take off his clothes. He just strips down to the, you know, whatever, the boxer shorts, which are not like boxer shorts, the underwear, just the the actual shorts that boxers wear. Um, you know what? This commentary might not have been a good idea. That first, this is kind of nice and you can I can almost like feel what he's feeling. I think I've kind of been there emotionally not in a place with that much fucking snow but like it's the first light of day and he's stepping out onto the porch and he's looking on to onto like the vastness of the snowy ground it's like it's clearly like three feet of snow no nah, it's like two feet of snow and um he's just he's looking out and he's like this is the beginning you can just see i'm probably projecting all this shit still not that good an actor right did he ever star in anything that were that was like, oh, this is it. This is the one where he's going to break through from being an actor. Oh, my God. That fucking shit with the binoculars. If you're watching this and you see that fucking camera bullshit they just did trying to zoom in on the guy um, picking up the binoculars. Oh, my God. That was so... Oh, my God. You should... <laughs> Anyways, fuck was I talking about? No fucking idea. Oh, wait. The snow. Oh, just that first morning vibe. Um... It's kind of like when you have a long vacation, not that I've ever like taken a long vacation away somewhere, but just when, um, like I'm a, I've got 10 straight days off and you wait, I wake up early that first day and I'm like, like the, this is the air is crisper. Cause you're like, I'm fucking done with work. Oh my god, part of Rocky's workout regimen is that he's a good Samaritan and he helps this dude pick up his, his, his tilted carriage. See, and then they show Drago working out with like red lights, red light bulbs, so he's glowing red, which is obviously suggestive of he's he's red, he's a Soviet dude, and um, also it's just sinister, looks like the devil. And his fucking jumps, well, his, yeah, his, I think you call that a unitard? I don't know, what the, yeah, yeah, it's a unitard. Um... That too is red, but I think that also has some kind of Russian insignia on the sternum of it. Now, Rocky dogs. <laughs> Rocky fucking. Um, 
<laughs> dragging Polly on the dog sled. And it's not even trying to be funny. They're, how, I don't know how they didn't. Man, Sloan is in good shape. He's doing these pull-ups. <laughs> you see Duke with that fucking turtleneck just nodding, watching Rocky do pull-ups and just nodding sagefully. And um, what's interesting is like, hold on. I guess it was technically beginning with Rocky 2 that they seem to have realized that Rocky needs two training montages. And here we've got the first one where it's Rocky alone with Polly and Duke. And it's kind of like hashtag boys club and he's running in the snow and he's, he's just at now acclimating to his environment. Then we're going to go back to like footage of his daily life. And then Adrian's going to show up and now she's on his corner. So we're going to get one more training montage where now we're going a step beyond his having familiarized himself with his environment. Now we're going to see him conquer that environment. And it's in the next training montage, the one where he is imbued not only with that aforementioned familiarity with his environment. Rocky just walked into his frame for the first time with a beard, and I don't know why it looks funny. And now here's Adrian. No explanation how she got there or... Anyways. Um, so... <clears throat> Going into the second training montage, he will be endowed not only with a familiarity of his terrain um, and a beard, but the love and encouragement of his wife. And that, excuse me, these burps, man, that will, like, take him a step farther in his strength. And, like, he's, he, he, like, does a shoulder press with the three of them. He shoulder presses the three of them. Um... I'm with you no matter what, she says. All right, you know, that's not really... I, that's fine. I was going to say, like, oh, that's totally at odds with what she was saying in the beginning, but I guess it does make sense for her character if you're like, okay, you know, she knows better. She knows that this dude is fucking toxic in a big, bad way with his need to do violence on strangers. Um, but, yeah, she's just in love with him, and, like, it just keeps... Surely we all know such a person. Surely most of us have been a person where it's like, why can't I just see, why can't the person in question just see that the, their partner is an, a bad idea? And here we see like very tap dancey, jazzy music video close-ups of Rocky's feet as he's jump roping, which is clearly some kind of product placement for a shoe. I can't tell what kind. Um, and now we see Rock. Oh my God! See, Rocky is doing like weird workout things. That that stomach crunch. It looks like the one that I'm watching where he's dangling off of the 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 loft and uh, doing a stomach crunch. It just looks like an injury, a horrible injury waiting to happen. Now we see him like industrially chopping wood, um, fucking shit up on the speed bag. The beard is frothy. I guess you say mossy. Tricep pull with, uh, tricep press, I think you would say, with the bags of rocks. See, and it's like so fucking biblical. Like he goes out into a cabin and he grows a beard and he throws the rocks of the earth. It's just, <clears throat> it's, it's, it feels very Genesis. You know, working out with his own body weight. 
chanting the words no pain, no pain, no pain. So there's a meditative component here. Meanwhile, we only see Drago working with machines. Suggesting, you know, hedonistic convenience. See, and here he is, he's juicing up. What would have been a great juxtaposition is if you show the, that little clip of Drago getting injected in steroid, with steroids and you contrast it with Rocky's standard dietary thing in these movies, which is chugging the raw egg. That would have been a more, anyways, maybe a little too obvious and heavy-handed, but that's the kind of movie we're looking at. And so when you look at the tools that Rocky's using to work out, it's like he doesn't touch a dumbbell. He doesn't touch a barbell. He is using his body weight. He's using rocks. He's using rope. And the combined weight of everyone in his house is <laughs> fucking telling everyone on the cart. And then he just shoulder presses the cart. And now we see him basically outrun a car, Rocky, um, suggesting that his um, biblical isolation and man-of-the-earthness is now making him freakishly it's making him into steve rogers and you can see yeah it's i don't know why i'm surprised or struck by this when for a minute there when he's running on a flat tough surface and his feet aren't sinking like they are in, in the snow you see him sprint and it's just like that freakishly fast superhuman dolly shot of him sprinting in rocky 2 which is in the second of the two training montages. Um, that is fucking superhuman. He was probably going like, I don't know, 18 miles an hour or something in that in that scene. Oh, I heard someone just broke the uh, two-hour record for, um, for, or the two-hour mark. I don't think anyone has ever made that record. The two-hour mark for a marathon. I think he did it like hour, an hour and 58 minutes and 50-something seconds. Here we see Rocky at the peak of a mountain. So we are to believe that he climbed this mountain. And when the, see, here's the helicopter shot showing us just how high he is. Just what sort of terrain he would have needed to traverse. Look at how steep that mountain is. Surely, if, if, and how, and it's way far away. The helicopter shot is showing us it is very far away from wherever he's living. I have to imagine that if Rocky was seriously embarking on a mountain climb that the gods of cinema, well, it just that the filmmakers would have no, like the, the filmmakers conception of the God in that universe would have suggested that his climbing a mountain was something that deserves one or two minutes of screen time, maybe 90. And they're showing all these people in the Russian audience. And what I would say is cool and commendable about these shots of the Russian audience before the fight starts is that they look human. They don't look like these vampiric reds, you know. Um, you wouldn't... I don't think you'd necessarily look at this audience and say they are of any particular nationality. They just like look like typically benignly rabid sport fans. Here we see Rocky praying in the dressing room before the fight, and we see the camera zooming in with a... In, in a very 1970s way. Uh, 
I'm, I'm leaning away while taking a sip of beer, and uh, because I don't want to get the the gulping sound on the mic, and it reminds me of a stand-up routine where I forget which special it was, which HBO special it was, but George Carlin would take a sip of water and he would press the microphone deep into like like just beside his esophagus, so you so it like broadcasted the sound of his gulp. And it reminds me that I was just watching, uh, it was referred to me on YouTube, a clip from a, um, what's his name? Joe Rogan podcast episode where he's talking with another stand-up comedian and the, they address the fact that like on the night before September 11th, George Carlin filmed and recorded a special called I Like It When A Lot Of People Die. And he has routines, and is the whole routine, I think, is just about like, hey, you see 20 people die in a car wreck, why not 30? And and um, and then, like, they had the recording in the bag. I'm sure he was prepared for something like a break, a vacation of some of sorts. And then the very next morning, a lot of people die. And they were not about, apparently they've destroyed the footage of the, um, of the actual performance, but... The recording is still around, and I, I know you can get it on Amazon, uh, the CD. I don't wonder about Spotify. I haven't listened to it yet, but I've heard it's unimpressive. You know, Carwin is like known as a legend in the field, in the world of comedy, but and like they all, everyone pays homage and they talk about like, oh, he was a genius. He changed the game. I don't think George Carlin is particularly hilarious or like hysterical. I think he's just like very clever, very charismatic. And you felt his routines felt like it was a monologue, like a conversation with somebody. He was espousing opinions. He they weren't just ruminations and observations. One of the things that sort of distinguished Carlin is as a comic is that he made moral pronouncements in his routines. Um, he didn't, he wasn't like very vocally political, but you know, you could get a sense. He was particularly not a fan of Republicans. Um, all right. So here's Drago coming to the ring and there is a degree of opulence in his entry, but it's nothing like what Apollo went through. Um, what, I mean, what Apollo demonstrated when he went in to fight Drago. And what's weird is, like, Apollo, when he was coming out to James Brown singing Living in America, I think it was like a Fourth, it was like a fourth of July fight, and he's covered in American flag, like, gloves and, and trunks and whatever, and it's, but he's kind of, like, wearing it. I don't know. It's, like, a gimmick. He's, he's, he's gimmickizing his um, nationality, his patriotism. And here in the fight between Rocky and Drago, we see they treat their country like way more respectfully. Like, yes, they wear the flag, but it's not in an opulent flag. It's not in a flashy way. They don't have f like flag gloves and, you know, hats and shit. They're not singing pop songs about their country. They're singing the national anthem. So I think like I think that kind of goes hand in hand with um, what's it called the sort of Christian subtext to these movies is um, there's a patriot a patriot subtext and I think I remember the subtitle not the subtitle excuse me the tagline for Rocky Three which you see on all the early posters was Rocky Three an American tradition 
suggesting already. It was it was like they could see into the future and just how many Rocky movies there would be. Um, it's looking like there's going to be at least nine, and um, which is cool. It's like a holy number, three and three, or three squared. What? Yeah, three squared. Um, fucking. Yeah. Sip, sip. <clears throat> so yeah, Carlin. I was a big Carlin fan when I was in middle school and high school. It started in middle school mostly because like we had Kazaa and LimeWire and another file sharing platform called Juarez, I think. And I would download um, entire HBO, like almost everything that Carlin ever did, except for his super young stuff on the radio. I wasn't, I was never a fan of that. Um, even the Class Clown, his famous probably his most famous HBO special class clown. I, I, I can never get through it. It's just a little too clowny. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I would play video games in my room and I would listen to, I, I would play the video games on mute and I would listen to George Carlin routines over and over and over again while I played video games. And so it like cemented something about Carlin's cadence and the delivery of a joke, like it just cemented that shit in my head. And I think it, I don't know. I think it influenced how I can, how I tell stories and shit. It's a true case of David versus Goliath here, says one of the announcers, bringing us back to the Christian idea. Uh, Drago says, I must break you. And that's, it's just such a tactic. Um, we've seen his vulnerability. We see how readily he um, subjugates himself um, for his country, for his handlers, for his, the, this woman. I can't, Brigitte Nielsen, I can't tell. Is she supposed to be just his handler or if there's supposed to be some kind of romantic thing going on there? Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> Fuck. Um, oh, yeah, just that it's like, he says, oh, I will break you, and just something intimidating. It's performance. You can tell he's 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 a humble guy. Uh, Drago is. He's not a bad dude. And the ending obviously really suggests that when he shoves his trainer to the ground and says, I'm not fighting for you, I'm not fighting for my country, I'm fighting for me. Gary Vaynerchuk brings that up a lot in like motivational speeches and um, he himself is Russian so he has like some extra feelings for that but in, in the when he recounts the scene in his speeches like gives you the impression he hasn't seen the movie in a while and you would think like once he had integrated this Rocky Four reference into his routine he would like he would think you know what I got this great Rocky Four analogy I can make let me watch the movie again make sure I don't sound like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it does, he doesn't appear to have done that. Stick it to him now, Rocky. I love um, how they selectively give, like, let us hear remarks from the trainer and uh, and from Paulie. Reach and grab him, reach and grab him. And then there's the British announcer, and it's like the strangest ear that's picking up these things. Bandiero. The champion is down. Oh, always a necessary part, of course. 
that's not even really insightful to observe that, yeah, there has to be a segment where, like, Rocky gets knocked down and he really looks like he's out of it. Oh, but yeah, there's another montage. <laughs> Fuck. I forgot. There's another fucking montage of this movie. And it's coming up now. Like, they're they're playing the first couple rounds straight for us just to see, like, the fluency of their fighting. And then um, we're going to get a montage that bridges us to the last couple rounds. I wonder if that's a trend, too. I should... I'll take that as a as a reason to watch all these fucking movies again. Oh yeah, they're talking about <clears throat> the announcers are talking about like oh this this really this must be heavy shit for Drago because like look most of the military political higher-ups are sitting here watching him and he's like fucking 20 years old and um i think that's another reason to sympathize with drago even before we get to that that line at the end about you know i did this for me i did this for me that's supposed to make us think differently of him it's just so clear from all the circ all these circumstances that drago is being puppeted around he's terrified he's a kid oh yeah yeah I hate, like, whenever I'm watching this movie and my brother walks in, he'll look at it for a few seconds, like, during a fight scene, and he'll be like, both of these guys would be fucking dead. That's not how these how combat sports works. It's not that precise. These blows are action movie blows. Like, like, dude, let me watch the movie. My my dad does it, too. <laughs> they're, not, they're not really being judgmental. They're just fucking... They're just pointing out how absurd it is, but, like, you don't need to point that out. My friend Steve made a remark about um, moving the goalpost when you consume certain kinds of art. Like there's some kind of art that you want to really like or, you know, you, I don't know why. Like it's just something with your sense of self. You want to be like, oh, yeah, I understood that or I appreciate that kind of thing. And so as Steve puts it, you move the goalpost and you uh, just kind of like lowering your standards and. You allow yourself to really believe that the movie is better than it is. I wonder if that's what I'm doing with the Rocky movies that are not particularly good. Namely this one. And uh, Rocky 3 and uh, Rocky 5. <coughs> it's crazy burps. This is shaping up to be a personal war. And right now it's anybody's boxing match. I cringe to think that that fucking announcer dialogue was actually in the script. I'm sure it was. See, and then Drago goes into the corner, and he's hearing from his trainer. Rocky goes into his corner, he's hearing from his trainer, and we're bouncing back and forth. And we see that Rocky's trainer is saying, here's what you gotta do, you're doing great, here's what you gotta do, you gotta keep, whatever. Then we cut to Ivan's corner, and they're saying like, this the American is soft. How are you not winning? Whatever. Um, I think that's an interesting thing, an interesting little detail. Because, like, yeah, that's not you could be you could I don't know suggest even a parenting sub subtext there of like that's not how you breed a winner by telling by asking them how it's possible that they fucking aren't winning. 
what you do is you go with the Duke approach. And you say, okay, here's what has to be done. Here's the next step. You did a good job with the last one or a bad job, and here's why. And this is how we're going to go forward. Yeah, these punches are actually pretty ridiculous. Look at Adrian. Like, Adrian, fucking Adrian in the audience. Like, she it looks terrified. Here she sees her husband getting into the ring with a guy who just killed one of their closest family friends doing the exact same fucking thing. Poor Adrian. Nobody talks about Adrian. Yeah, you see that fucking sn Rocky's snarling face as he's throwing those punches into Drago's midsection, and it's something base. It's something animalistic. It's It's not the very, very sweet guy that we see in every other arena of that of like his domestic life and whatever. Like the reason Rocky is the reason we like Rocky is because of how he behaves outside the ring. But the reason he can be so delicate and likable outside the ring is because he lets out Mr. Hyde on in the ring and he turns into this Basically, murderous monster. Look at that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Zoom in on Duke's face when he's going, yeah. And they got the like smoky background. Oh my God. This is so fucking stupid. I like it though. A lot. I like it a lot. <clears throat> it's cool when you go back it's cool when you go back and watch uh, Rocky 1 and you see how they use like curtains in the back to hide the fact that there really isn't a big audience I think in Rocky 2 they might have filmed it in an actual stadium because they had the budget for it but notice how many shots here of the two fighters are either tilted down or tilted up so that they can manipulate our perspective of the audience. Because there is clearly not a studio audience, like a stadium audience there. The first time we really see that in a Rocky movie. I mean, the first time we really see a proper audience in a Rocky movie is in um, Rocky Balboa. Which I think they shot with actual like participation from HBO. Yeah, makeup has gotten a lot better in the 30 years since this movie came out. Um... Like the way, just the way that their swelling looks, it's just like it's relegated entirely to the eyes and the cheekbones. And it's just, I don't know, not very good prosthetics that they've just sort of pasted onto their eyes. Whereas now, like, when you watch Creed, the bruising that they put on, um, the bruising and the swelling that they put on Michael B. Jordan's face in those, especially in that last fight, is like way more sophisticated than this. Oh, 16 rounds. Yeah, see, there you see Rocky saying, what round is it? He, like, he's totally out of it, and um, maybe that's normal for boxers, but I I was entertaining the idea that maybe it's kind of forecasting where this franchise is going, which is that in Rocky V. Um, of course, the movie begins. He's in the dressing room after fighting Drago, and he can't stop shaking. And then he goes to the doctor, and they find he's got brain damage. He can never fight again. He got brain damage from Drago. 
and he can never fight again. Yeah, so I don't you know. I don't know. Is Brigitte Nielsen when? Okay, when um, right there where Drago picks up his trainer or whatever, just the politician in a chokehold and then throws him into the audience. We see Drago. We see Brigitte Nielsen shout something, and I don't know if it's supposed to be encouraging or like, hey, please don't murder the diplomat. See, and then they bump the, they bump gloves, and Drago says to him, you know, bleeding from the face and having clearly just set his career on fire by choking and throwing a politician, he says, to the end. He, he looks at Rocky and he nods and he says, to the end. And that's that doesn't sound like a monstrous manipulative thing. That sounds like the thing that a serious competitive athlete says when he's kind of proud of himself and surprised of where he is, where he is. Um, and when you want, when you see how Drago is fighting now, it's not like the last lumbering punches of a tyrant. He's going savage. He's like desperate. He's nervous. Look at how he's throwing these punches. Drago's like a kid. Yeah, he's a fucking kid. Jesus. And now Rocky's fucking him up. Balbo is chopping the Russian down. I don't know if that was a deliberate reference to um, the fact that Stallone was just chopping down a tree. Oh, yeah, you know what? How the fuck did that never cross my mind? Obviously, that is a metaphor when Balboa chops down a tree that's so much taller than him and it goes toppling to the ground. And more foreshadowing, probably accidental, that the uh, announcer there says, uh, this isn't even boxing anymore, this is just a street fight. And what happens in Rocky V when, you know, given the consequences of this fight, he can no longer do it in the ring, and so he gets into a street fight. See the Brigitte Nielsen thing right there, it just says, Yells in Russian. Like, what is she saying? Cheese pizza? Cheese pizza! Oh my god, that reminds me. My dad my dad fucking digresses a lot in his storytelling. And, um, well, kind of like me. But he gets these brain farts. Where, like, he just goes silent for a little while. And, uh, and then he picks up the thread of the story abruptly. Like, nine seconds later. And the other day, he was... He goes, oh, I wanted to tell you this story. And I go, what? And so he goes, you know, when I went to college, there was this statue in the courtyard of the campus. And then his eyes kind of squint, and he's getting kind of spacey. And then he just goes on silently, and he doesn't say anything. And I was like, is that the story? <laughs> I thought it was so fucking hilarious, like inadvertently, just that you tell someone, hey, I wanted to tell you this story. You got a minute? <laughs> and the person says, yeah, I got a minute. And then you're like, okay, when I went to college, there was a statue on the campus. And then you, <laughs> you just leave it at that. That's the whole story. Oh, man. See, like here we've got Rocky in the ring and there's a bunch of extras. 
standing behind him and they're young and they're looking at him in such a concentrated way. And then the handful of people that we get close-ups in the audience, they're like trying to shed tears and stuff. And you know that's not what the director told them to look like. It's that it's that these people are like, oh my God, I'm going to be in a mainstream movie. I need to I need to act the shit out of my tiny peripheral role. Like you can see the guys over Rocky's shoulder in this close-up. They're like, they're frowning, they're brimming with emotion, and they're nodding emphatically to everything he says. It's not that insightful, the shit that he's saying. It sounds pretty fucking simple and trivial. Um, I remember on Facebook, I joined a group that was called Rocky IV Ended the Cold War. And it was just like every two weeks, someone would leave a comment like, Rocky Four is a good movie, and then someone else would, would like would like it. Um, the inter- it was the uh, more innocent days of the internet. She said, "If I can change, you can change. Anybody can change. Oh, everybody can change. Fuck! How do I not know that line? Oh, we see these." Fucking Moby Dick, dudes. Oh, my God. And then the... <laughs> All the politicians looking absolutely spellbound by Rocky's eloquence. And they're just rising slowly to their feet and slow clapping. And this fucking maudlin zoom in on his ugly-ass kid. Oh, my God. This movie's fucking stupid, but it's really good. Oh my god, this is so cheesy. Oh my god, and it's so weird. You would think like someone in... Someone who's like... Who had been in Hollywood for so long at this point would be savvier to cliche. I don't know. I don't remember how this ends. I mean, obviously it ends with Rocky, but does it just cut out? I'm pretty sure they show some kind of epilogue. Oh, no, that's the end. All right, cool beans. Glad that's over. Um, All right, dudes. That's it. Thanks for watching or listening. Fuck. All right. It wasn't as smooth as I was hoping it would be, as I was pretty convinced it would be. Like, certainly when I turned off Paranormal Activity, I was like, fuck. Thank God that shit is over. Uh, no, no. Now, I was like, okay, see, I'm not as freaked out now. Um, and so I can go and I can watch something light and I can be more, be a better host. Excuse me. Better commentator. Clearly was not the case. Anyways, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and to check out our blog posts every day at www.thousandmovieproject.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can always throw some money at Thousand Movie Project on PayPal or Venmo, or you can buy one of our two ebooks, Horny Nuns and The Ballad of Felicio Knightley, which both cost a buck and are both available on Amazon.com. And remember, while you're at it, to have a nice day.